Welcome to season four of the Dynamic Leader Podcast. My name is Shelley Flett. I believe that leadership at its core requires strong relationships, the ability to sit in a space of genuine curiosity and the courage to build capability in others. I believe great leaders are lifelong learners, and so my intention is to help you to continue your learning journey by bringing you new perspectives from experts in their field. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Hi everyone, and welcome to another Dynamic Leader Conversations. Today we are talking about the most amazing topic, which is coaching, um, and we're putting it together with leadership. So we're talking about leadership coaching, which is um, the space that I'm super, super passionate about. Uh, and I'm really excited to have Karen Stain join me. Um, she's a professional certified coach. Um, she's an executive coach. She has over 30 years of experience. So she's a bit ahead um, of where I'm at. It includes 23 years um, as a partner at Deloitte. Um, so no doubt, so much experience in the workplace. Um, and she has an evidence-based positive psychology and lived experience with over 2,000 hours of one-on-one coaching. So we're here to talk about um, being your own leadership coach, um, which is the book that she's recently published, um, and explore leadership and coaching more broadly. Karen, thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Shelley. Thanks for having me. I am so excited that coaching as a mode has finally made it into the leadership space. Um, And I know it's probably been happening that way for maybe the last five or six years, but it really seems to have built momentum over the last one or two, hasn't it? I think so. Uh, there's look, there's so many domains of coaching and I think more and more people are exploring the different domains of coaching in support of leadership. And, and we're also looking at leadership really differently. So rather than just the very structured, how do I lead people and pull them along with me? It's, it's yeah, the, the whole suite of different areas that I can consider, whether it's around leading as a role model, leading with well-being, leading to try and assist people to be their best. So I think people are looking very much more broadly at what does it mean to lead and what's the support I can have from a coach um, to help explore that. So how do you define leading on with that in mind or how, how would you define leadership? Uh, broadly. So <laughs> in the old days, we used to define it very much by position. So people were referred to as a leader because of the title they wore pinned to their chest. So maybe they were in the C-suite, maybe they were a manager or an executive or or taking from you know the military, they were a general, a, a general manager or a, a vice president of an organization. So there's, you know, up the the upper upper areas of businesses was where we saw leadership. But in fact, leadership is not about position. Leadership is about a series of acts or practices that we evidence. And so leadership comes from us all at all stages of our career. And the more we widen our view of leadership, the more our ability to have an impact and a positive impact uh, towards ourselves, leading ourselves, but also towards the people around us. And we all have different roles to play. So even if I'm acting reasonably independently, I still have the ability to role model or to lead with a point of view that I can contribute into a broader conversation and help people you know, have more diversity in their thinking. Or maybe it's it's what I won't walk past. The standard that I keep is what I won't walk past. So I can lead with you know, stopping and noticing things and actually attending to them rather than just letting people step past. So leadership's become much broader and, and hopefully it's become kinder so that people can actually turn their mind to leading with empathy and compassion and bring the humane side to leadership uh, rather than the very functional operational side that probably was of years gone by. 
Mm, which brings me to um, really ask about executive coaching, um, you know, coaching senior leaders and um, where the empathy, the um, emotion, the, you know, I think about some of the senior leaders that I coach and um, often I get the, um, this kind of feels like a um, therapy session sometimes, or, you know, it's focusing so much on the individual and often it's an interesting conversation sometimes with more senior leaders who sort of think, well, I can work on my leadership over here, but still keep that separate from who I am as a person. I just don't, yeah, I'm just interested in your experience with that. I think more more leaders are actually getting more comfortable with just leading as they are, but being mindful as to putting the boundaries and, and understanding the appropriateness of that. So we can't, we talk about bringing our whole self into the workplace. And I think we have to bring our measured self into the workplace and be thinking as, as to how that lands, what's appropriate and what's not. So first of all, just understanding the culture of the organisation you're in, also thinking about the diversity of the teams that you're working with, how you're making people feel included and supported and, and feel like they matter in your team. So how you're drawing attention to who you're working with and, and how you role modelling, what you would want people to also be doing so that they can also help other people feel they can be of their best. So I think that empathy is more if I start with myself as a leader and I think about how I can be in support of myself to bring myself as my best self, then I'm more likely to lead as my best self. And so it's, it is a necessary um, focus on self as a leader to understand, well, what's the impact I'm having compared to what's the impact I'd like to have? And we all have good intentions, but sometimes that doesn't come out in the wash. Sometimes we step back at the end of the day and reflect and go, oh, gosh, this morning my intention was to have a positive impact, to bring people on a positive journey. How did I get into such conflict with so many people along the way? What triggered me? What were the things that that got in my head that maybe allowed me to act in a particular way? And so by becoming um, more mindful and noticing more of yourself and self-coaching of yourself throughout your day, throughout your journey, you'll be able to attend to those types of things and then alter the choices you make to, to lead from a better place and to have a more positive, enduring impact. And so much of what you work with leaders on um, from a professional perspective um, trickles over into their personal lives. Um, and, you know, the same can be said vice versa. I often use um, parenting as a really good alignment or a good metaphor um, or example of leadership impact. Oh, for sure. I mean, we could spend all our time rescuing our kids and not really empowering them so they don't have the skills that are going to support them. They can't be solution focused if they're always waiting for mum to come and rescue them and do it for them. It's the same in the workplace. If I'm always rescuing people or micromanaging them or or because I feel I can do it better, I'm jumping in and taking over, I'll never empower my team. I'll never allow them to grow and to be their best selves. And their reliance on me also becomes really heavy. So it takes up a lot more of my time. I become a lot more fatigued. My mood's therefore impacted. And there's this vicious cycle that starts to create as to, well, therefore, what's the impact I'm actually having? So, yes, I think in all domains of life, we can take our own leading as ourselves to what am I bringing into this relationship? How am I leading in, in a way that encourages people to uh, grow and feel supported? And for me to feel that um, I've understood their needs by understanding what's important to them, what are their strengths, uh, what's necessary for them to enable them to be of their best in that situation and how might I support them, that's going to support leadership. Yeah, absolutely. So you talk about um, being your own leadership coach. Yes. Um, 
And I'd love to hear about like the prerequisites around that, because if you've got someone who doesn't have a great level of self-awareness, can they build that Mm. through, you know, going through your book alone or do they need some input from the people around them? I'm just thinking about myself, you know, 20 years ago, (laughs) like, no problem here. Probably wouldn't have even picked the book up, but yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> took a lot of people to help me to to get to where I am today. Yeah, look, we all we all need those people around us because we all carry blind spots. It's the same when we drive a car; we can't see all the way around. We have to actually turn our heads and stop and notice. And and I often talk about the fact that my my um, sons have you know a few years ago learned how to drive very differently to how I learned how to drive. They were actually taught to do a blind spot check where they'd have to pause turn their head and look for those things that might be in the blind spot as opposed to the way we were taught, which was just be careful when you change lanes and see what happens kind of thing. And so it's so much more intentional in in how people are learning to be or to to lead themselves. But you're right, if we're not self-aware, we might think that everything's great. We do need to take responsibility and own our own impact, though. We can't put that on everybody and say, well, nobody told me otherwise, therefore I just kept doing what I was doing. And so there comes that personal accountability um, to actually stop and pause and become much more self-aware of what is the impact I'm having or what could it be, maybe what's helping me, what's hindering me, and what do I want to dial up or dial down to, to allow myself to come forward in the way I intend Um, but also to open up a feedback loop. So it's not enough just to have my own view of myself. I might be standing outside of myself looking back as a third party would do, but again, I won't see those blind spots. So if I can open up some feedback loops with some trusted advisors, it could be trusted family members, friends, some colleagues, it might be a combination and actually be asking them, what are you seeing in me that's working well? And what could I do that could be even better? Really simple questions. And then, you know, if they're saying, no, everything's great, just keep doing what you're doing, well, they haven't really given me any feedback that's of use. What do I do with that? What does it mean that everything's great? And what am I doing that you're saying I should keep doing? You haven't really helped me. So I like to look at feedback as a gift. And I like to to think of it that when people give feedback, most times there's a positive intention that comes with it. And if they're handing me a beautiful gift box and it's wrapped up with a lovely ribbon, I'm not just going to take that box and put it on the shelf. I'm actually going to start to unpack it as I should with the feedback. So I'll open the ribbon, I'll open the lid, I'll look inside and maybe I see a whole lot of wrapping paper and it still doesn't make sense to me. Same with the feedback. I'll dig further. I'll start to unpack it to be curious to wonder what's that gem inside the box. And similarly with the feedback, that gift of feedback, what's the gem that they're trying to give me? How can I ask them more questions to help uncover what that is? And maybe they're not great at giving feedback so I could prompt them, you know, Give me an example of when you saw me at my best or if you think I should do it differently, what does that look like to you or who could I learn from, those kind of things. Yeah, absolutely. So it's a a bit of a combination and even when you're getting, um, you're asking for feedback and you're getting what you want to hear as opposed to what you need to hear, um, your book asks questions in a way that encourages you to explore that a little bit deeper and expand your thinking. Yeah, it's a courageous mindset. It's um, it's being curious. It's opening yourself up to what's possible because if we want to have growth and we then we want to open our minds to have hope that we can see more of of what others see. 
And that empowers us. I mean, you feel so much more empowered when you have broadened your perspective and kind of pushed open your cognitive boundaries to let more insight and information and knowledge come in. So you're not just kind of limited to the view that you have today, but you're pushing it open and learning so much more. Mm. So the more we learn of ourselves, from ourselves and also from others, the easier it is, therefore, to have more foresight rather than wait for hindsight to go, gosh, if only I'd realised, if only someone had told me, you know, go and seek it, get that foresight. I can be much more responsive because I'll be able to draw on what's worked for me. I'll have much more confidence in which strengths actually can support me and fire me up and make me feel engaged and motivated. And I'll feel more empowered. So mm-hmm. I like to think that I'll be empowered to be a leader as opposed to just do lots of leadership stuff. And often we just do stuff and we think that's the role. But if I'm not empowered to be the leader, to think about how do I want to be, how do I want to show up, how do I want to have an impact that matters, um, I'm less likely to have it. So that's where the self-coaching and that self-awareness actually plays in. And it requires some discipline. Like the same way if we're trying to do a sport or, or, or build up a technique or something, most things don't happen at their ultimate at the first time we do it. It requires us to, to pause, to reflect, to, to think about what worked well and, and what could be done differently. So you've got your data points, maybe a little bit of experimentation. So maybe I'll try something different next time. And then again, reflection. And that's where people fall apart because they just don't make time for themselves. It's we always seem to find people are, when I when I do coaching, typically the first thing that's given up when people are busy is time for themselves and time for self-reflection, which means there's less self-awareness. Yeah, absolutely. So as part of your own practice, like you've got over 2000 hours of coaching. So, you, you know, you know how to do that with others. How do you build in a coach yourself practice? Like how does that work for you? Yeah, so it varies depending on people's openness to to how they run their their week, how they run their life. So for some people, the best thing they can do is is literally put aside a recurring meeting in their diaries called me, not not as in Karen, but me, M-E, and and they see it popping up and it's color-coded and it's recurring. And once a week they pause and they stop and they self-reflect to think about, well, how's the week gone? What's been working well for me? What are the things that I was trying to work on and experiment with? What are my data points? Have I got some feedback or do I need to get more? But really using that hour for self-reflection. The reason I say one hour is um, on average we sleep eight hours a night. That leaves us 112 waking hours during a week. So if we only take one hour of the 112, it's actually less than 1% of our time that we're awake to invest in ourselves, which is not a big ask. But for some people, it sounds huge. How can I find an hour? Surely you can find 1% to invest in you. And it doesn't have to be in your formal working hours. You might do it before, after, on a weekend, whenever it works for you. If that's too hard, another alternative is to do it in short stints. So 15 minutes in the morning before you start your work, just stopping and pausing and thinking, what's my intention for the day? How do I want to show up? What am I noticing of myself? What do I need to pay attention to in order to be in support of myself, but also to have the impact I'd like to have? So I step in with my intention being top of mind, mindful, intentional practice. At the end of the day, I take 15 minutes before I close off, before I go and make dinner or jump in the car. And I just think about, and what, how did I go? What worked well for me today? Do my actions match up with my intentions or was I mismanaging myself? Was I really active on a lot of things but not particularly productive? Was I um, short with people because I'm tired or was I actually mindful of that and I, you know, I assisted myself to try and manage my emotions? Um, did I feel the stress over the day whereas I wanted to go through the day feeling reasonably at ease? 
And so what did I do during the day? What were the rituals that I drew on to try and ease my stress as the day continued? So I've come out the other end feeling maybe a little bit heightened in stress, but not overwhelmed. And, and those measures can actually help you get a lovely reflection just in a 15-minute window of what's my intention and, and how has it eventuated or not. Beautiful. And do you practice that each day? Is that or do you uh, yeah, do, you do I try, the once a week or do you do each day? What works I try for, for day. For me, it works for day. Um, and, and it's just it's not something I necessarily have in the diary. It's just a practice that I would do just before I start coaching and engaging with people in my days to think, well, how am I? And and taking a view, if I'm to be in service to others in the work that I do, I really need to notice how I'm showing up and leading through that. And if I don't, if I just step in with little preparation, you know, rushed, um, you know, throwing throwing the washing on as I run to my desk type thing, that's not going to work. So what am I doing to actually draw myself to be present, to be sitting with um, those that I'm coaching so that they have my full attention, that there's no judgment, that I've, I've lifted and noticed any assumptions that I'm holding. But I've also taken stock of my emotional state and also my physical state. So how am I feeling? What's working for me? What do I need to do differently to be in support? And at the end of the day also, yes. So um, so what what is the least amount of time that you have in between conversations? Because what I'm thinking about is um, it's it's great to go, let me get ready for the day, but often we need to be doing that in between. Yeah. So if I'm going to be in service to each person I speak to, I yes. want to be sitting for a period of time. What What amount of time do you what's the shortest amount of time that you can still effectively be present from conversation to conversation? Yeah, the shortest the, the, the shortest amount of time in truth would be a 10 to 15 minute break. That's not ideal though. That's very heavy and there's a lot of energy that's consumed in that way. So ideally what I try and do is structure coaching sessions. I coach for an hour and then I break for an hour. And in that time that I break, I, I work through my reflections of the coaching session. I'd um, complete any notes that I had to, or that I, that I'm keeping in relation to that. There might be some follow-ups that we're doing that I've agreed to do. So it gives me some time to ensure that I've completed what we um, was a part of that coaching session. It gives me time also to consider any emotions that I'm carrying from the coaching session. So whether there's been any transference of the coachee's emotional state to my own. And, and sometimes you don't know what people are bringing into the coaching room with them. It can really vary in terms of um, the heightened level of emotionality that's coming with it. Um, and as you said, we do need to think about the fullness of the person. It's not just you're talking just simply about the um, what's on the spreadsheet that you're working on today. It's actually understanding what's happening to that individual that's in support of them or otherwise that might be causing anxiety or um, causing them to feel overwhelmed or distressed or what it might be. So it's helping them explore and discover that so they can attend to it. Um, and certainly it's about putting the boundaries around that. So not moving towards therapy, um, referring them as appropriate, but actually working with them to, to try and help them uncover what they need in support. So those are practices that I take into account. And then there's just the the own self, let alone the the coaching self. I mean, you you are hearing a lot. You are processing. The mind's very active to try and be joining the dots and trying to hear the meaning behind words and and understand what's being said and and look at it from different perspective to try and bring that um, to to the coach's attention. So it's also just trying to give myself a mental break to to have that space to enable me to be present and ready for the next one. 
And the same like anyone else, you can go into a meeting and walk out feeling ex- excited, happy, elated, you know, really like, yep, that was a really good session and, and I feel good and the coachee was representing how great they feel. Or you might walk out feeling, wow, that was a little bit more frustrating than usual. We just didn't seem to connect or, you know, it was um, there was some pushback from the coachee about what they wanted to do and so we had to try and look for other ways to discover how to go through it. And so it's actually making sure that you're understanding, well, what emotion have you taken out? That might not be their emotion, but any of your own that you need to process. So I'm tipping so yourself. Yeah. Um, and I'm tipping you don't kind of go straight from the conversation to um, what emails have come in and, and you know, pick up all of that work that just continues to come in. Yeah, like it, it's it's trying to be um, sensible in how you use your time and quite thoughtful as to what's going to work. And it's it, over the years it was trial and error, but I think I've got a, a quite a nice routine that works for me. Um, and then, look, there's some days too I always make it known to my coaches that albeit our coaching sessions have come to a formal end, I'll always be in support of them as a coach. So if they have a coaching moment where they're just thinking, I'm, I'm, I'm frozen, I really need to speak to a coach, they can contact me and we'll try and squeeze in a session within the next 24 hours because they'll recognise the time is of the essence for them. Mm-hmm. So it won't be, yes, I can see you in two weeks. It'll be, let's let's see what we can do now. And that, of course, can fill your day if if um, you hadn't expected things to happen. Yeah. But you need to also just be in response to those two. And, and that's the whole role of a coach is how can we be in support of those who are looking to try and examine and explore different ways in support of themselves. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <clears throat> so um, outside of your your regular rituals um, to, you know, reflect and kind of coach yourself, when do you find an external coach is helpful for you? At what point do you say, "I and this might not be your words, but like I'm stuck. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I need some help with this. Like. Yeah, and when you say for you, I'm assuming you're talking for me personally as opposed yeah. to, yeah. Um, so, well, actually, the, in writing my book is a, is a great example of when I actually uh, thought I need a coach. And it was having a good attempt at writing my book, having my own view as to the worth, um, the readability, you know, the structure, all of those things that come with the book, obviously having the ups and downs of some days I thought it was great, other days I thought it was rubbish, and, and actually then thinking, okay, I need some help and support. So I, I did find an awesome coach in Kelly Irving who runs the expert author community. And in that I had some individual coaching up front, but then I joined her group coaching programs and it was it was terrific to be sitting with um, groups of people who are inspiring and aspiring authors and all of us on a journey together and hearing of people's challenges and bringing mine in and and you know, really together bringing the combined wisdom of the group was great to learn about what does it mean to write? What does it mean to publish? What does it mean post-publication to activate the book? And and what does it require of you? And and that's been super helpful to that. So for me, it was about um, learning a skill in terms of, you know, how, how to write and publish. It was also about being in support of my own self to bring my best self to something completely different. So getting comfortable with something really uncomfortable at times. And then at times just um, having a group of people around me who were like-minded towards common goals, although they were quite distinct. We we're all writing about different things, but we have the common goal of actually working towards publication. 
And I guess a little bit about that is knowing yourself and when you need to engage. Because I think um, new skills and being able to pick things up, you've got just unlimited resources with podcasts and webinars and tutorials and all of that kind of thing. Um, and so, you know, it's that where is it that you need it? For myself, I know that it's um, I'm feeling some stuff and yeah. I don't know what to do with it because I can't see it and it's not I can't box it, <laughs> I yeah. can't yeah. make sense of it. And um, I'll go through, I'll I'll look at all the tools that I have and I'll go through that and then it'll be like, okay, I'm still stuck and I don't like, yeah. I don't like this. And so reach out, but it's about the individual and, and sort of where they feel that, what is it? Frustration or is it motivation? Do you think that there is an away and a towards aspect to reaching out to a coach? Well, yeah, I also think as a coach, it's also governance and so I, I use a supervisor, a coaching supervisor who, who I meet with regularly and have for a number of years. And that when I say supervision, it's sometimes people who aren't coaching don't quite understand what that means. And it's literally like the superhero. They have supervision. So they can help you see things with their supervision that you otherwise wouldn't see. They're not supervising you as you coach, which is a different reference to the word. Um, so it being in conversation with my supervisor is great because I find I can talk to her about if I've had some challenging coaching experiences, you know, that, that have either caused me some level of discomfort or otherwise I can bring that to her attention in a confidential setting. We can talk about what played out for me, what might have played out, how I might have looked at things differently um, and explore perhaps how I might go back to things if, if things are left unresolved. And I found um, that's an excellent way of having some governance around your coaching because you can come back to your core principles of, well, how do you want to be as a coach and what are the ethics you want to follow and the codes of conduct that you want to engage with and and are you still in the coaching framework or how you have you let yourself maybe lean a little bit into that advisor or expert mode and do you need to pull yourself back? Um, you know, where are you? So that's, I think, very useful and for coaches, I think, an essential, it, it should be, I think if any organisation is engaging with coaches that they actually are understanding and what's the level of supervision that you have for yourself because that's showing the governance around your coaching practices. Yeah, absolutely. It keeps you moving in uh, the direct, similar direction to those around you, which is helpful yeah. in this space. Yeah, yeah absolutely. absolutely. Um, and so thinking about just coming back to um you being part of uh, group coaching and then thinking about your book. So if I was going to, let's say, start up a book club or create something, you know, in the workplace or, or more broadly, this sounds like the perfect book to bring in is, do you see its benefit in being applied as a group? I, I love that you asked that question. Thank you. I haven't had that asked of me before. And and why I love it is because with the book, my hope is that people will read it in initially from cover to cover. But then I think it can be a great tool for you to pick up with a team or within a group coaching session to say, you know what, let's have a look at this chapter. Let's read this chapter that's all about the best lead leaders listen. And everybody go away between now and when we have the meeting or the next group coaching session, read the chapter, do the self-reflection exercises to see where it takes you. And then let's come back and talk about it. So you could either do it in a formal group coaching session. You could do it in a book club. You could do it when you're leading a team. If you're noticing in a team that perhaps that team is not being um, leading with kindness, they could read that last chapter, leading with kindness, understand what does it mean to lead with kindness? 
how am I self-reflecting to understand how I am or not leading with kindness? And then how as a team could we bring that to each other's attention to see how we could be in support of maybe changing some of our practices, uh, maybe providing more support to each other, maybe helping to notice things about each other so we can reinforce behaviours or draw attention to those behaviours that perhaps aren't leading with kindness. That can be from inclusion to diversity to, to communication styles to setting of business objectives how are we being kind in the way that we're, we're doing so? So, yes, I think great question because you, it's a great book to enable your team with and you could actually ask, you know, give a copy of the book to each team member, have them read specific chapters in addition, hopefully, to the book and then come back and, and you know, socialise that and, and try and help have the ripple effect beyond those individuals to who they are impacting day to day. I'm um I'm all for you know ongoing professional development and learning and often budgets don't really um, meet the need in a lot of organisations but I see that there's um, twelve practices that you cover in your book and I see that as you know twelve months of learning mm. um, together as a team I think we overcomplicate this idea of learning it's like go grab a copy of, of your book and, you know, go through each of the practices, you know, one each month. Um, I don't know whether you yeah. did 12 because it kind of fits nicely into the year, um, but I like it. I, you know, t- between you and me and the listeners, no, I didn't do it because it fits into the year, but now I will be using that as a tagline as to it fitting within the year because I like that too. And you'd think that would be pretty obvious, but it, um, no, it wasn't. It was just because of the way I was thinking as to how do I first help myself to lead as my best self? And once I've done that, how can I then lean into the, to the latter part of the book and start to be my best self as I lead others? Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, absolutely. In terms of forming new habits as well, it does take about 21 days, as they say, to form a new habit. So if you were doing it from month to month and looking at each chapter, it's giving yourself time to actually build the habits that would necessitate you mastering that or at least advancing yourself towards building up your understanding of how am I self-coaching so it's becoming more ingrained in me and a part of me mm-hmm. and then how am I advancing myself through the next part of the book. So absolutely could do that. Yeah, great. Um, this might be, um, this might put you a little bit on the spot, but, um, cause I know the 12 practices come from you. So it might be a little bit like your children, but which one's your favorite? I do have a favorite and I've mentioned it. It's kindness in leadership. Um, I love the construct of kindness. In fact, I, I, um, I coach as a volunteer with the Bambuddha group, um, and they look at, uh, the construct of kindness in the work they do. They're a social enterprise. And so it's looking at how can we be kinder so that more leaders are able to bring more equity into the decisions that they make, have greater diversity and have more opportunities for a greater number of people. And um, I was so struck with the concept of kindness. I actually did a year of living kindly as a, as a conscious exercise to think about every day, how could I do uh, an act of kindness, which wasn't seen as business as usual, but do something that was thoughtful towards somebody else in some way. That didn't mean going to the barista and buying 12 months of coffee to give away to people day in, day out. It had to be something that I would do once only. So, yes, I did buy, pay forward a coffee uh, or coffees for a group of people, but I couldn't use that then again once I'd done that. And so it stretched me in terms of thinking, well, first of all, how can I be kind to myself? Because that's part of kindness. So that's self-kindness, self-compassion. But then what could I do in terms of having an outward focus? It, it increased my ability to notice more. 
So I was noticing more about people. I was listening much better because I was hearing and really focused and being present on what was important to people, what was meaningful to them, and therefore how could I assist them and support them and be in support of them towards what um, they would find that mattered to them. So it's it's a lovely way to see the world when you're noticing more of people around you and, and even from those that you have very short interactions with. So, for instance, getting off a bus and stopping to thank the driver for the journey and making their day and letting them know they mattered is an act of kindness. But how often do we just jump off the bus and we don't yell out thanks or we just get off and push our way to the door and get off? So it's the smallest of things. There's a lot of studies that show that acts of kindness towards people that you don't know have a higher uh, social impact, pro-social impact than those who you might know. So think about what we could do to the world if we led with kindness and and even in business, you know, just leading with respect is, is an act of kindness, which should be something we do without thinking. Smiling at someone is an act of kindness. To engage with them, to let them know they've been noticed. Um, saying hello. How many people get in a lift and don't say hello to people and we all stand there looking at our phones and pretending we're very important and very busy? How about we engage more as, as humanity? That, to me, was my favourite chapter. Love it. And, and still um, try my best to try and come up with things that, make me feel that I've been in kindness to others so that's one of my strongest values and through my life I've tried to live my home life as well as my professional life with that value being honored I love that so are you saying that 365 acts of kindness over over at least I would say yeah, yeah. I, I kept it to one a day. And right. um, look, it was anxiety making at times because I'd be getting to the back end of the day and thinking, oh, I don't know. You know, I haven't done my act of kindness. What am I going to do? And, and who's it going to be towards? And what could it look like? But you'd be surprised how creative you become. And so that too also allows you to grow because the more that you're living in hope that you can do something and you're not sure of the solution, the more creative you become, the more you learn, the more innovative you are, your performance increases, the quality of the acts can increase because you learned from something that that was quite powerful or, wow, I was able to do that even in the short spans of time and have an impact. Um, It wasn't intended to be that I would receive anything in return. What I was receiving was my own assessment of what was happening for me from an emotional point of view or my level of connection with people, but I wasn't expecting them to, you know, if I'd Um, introduced them to somebody and made a connection with them or if I'd found something particularly that they thought they would like to read and sent them a book or whatever it might be a lot of it I enjoyed the the um, impact of them not expecting it and and that's quite lovely because you've given someone else a boost in their positive emotional state because now they know that they've been thought of and they've been thought of very intentionally Mm. so that makes people feel good and then I would feel good because my positive emotional state would go up knowing that as well and when you, I definitely know that part of the benefits and and what people can really gain through, you know, that individual coaching is um, the development of the internal resource. So creating an internal, like a really strong yeah. internal sense of self, that gratitude, like the the acts of kindness, the feeling that that gives you it, it, it's so internal it's yeah I love it I think it's such a, a great concept yeah and that's where we need time as well because we need time to notice how we're feeling and and what's working for us so even I mean like everyone will have emotions that go up and down and it's not it's not being hard on myself if I'm feeling a bit low or a bit flat but it's noticing it and then questioning you know what what's caused me to feel that way so I can be aware of it 
and making an informed choice as to what I'd like to do. Will I continue with that emotion? Is that going to help and support me? Or is it something that I could make a different choice towards doing something else or thinking something else? And sometimes we need to think of ways to boost your positive emotional state when you're feeling flat or low for, for a number of reasons. And kindness can actually lean into that and help you as can a number of other different types of acts. So yes, understanding, stopping, that pausing, noticing is really important in terms of self-coaching. And just thinking about um, acts of kindness, I like it when someone asks me for something that I that I can offer that yeah. they. So does is that included if you ask something of someone else because it gives them a sense of of purpose, a sense of like, yeah, I could go Google this, but actually, I might call Karen and get her recipe for for honey cakes because you know you like. Yeah. <laughs> um, is that is that something that would would constitute an act of kindness? So if if I if I'm imparting something on somebody and it's actually boosting their their self worth their positive emotional state it's making them feel like they they matter um, that they're significant absolutely yeah that's great because I know that there's you know there's people out there that will be going um, an act of kindness is me to someone else and and not that I can get something from them through that I know that doesn't sound that doesn't sound right when it's coming out but it's that no I I know what you're saying it's but it's actually bringing to the person's attention why they matter so if if I said to you look I wanted to have a talk to you about leadership and the reason that I'm asking for your advice is because of the work that you've done and I, I took you through a little bit of my understanding of your work I'm showing you why you matter why I've come to you and that in itself is an act of kindness because I've validated you I've I've recognized who you are, what you stand for, what matters to you, and also what your level of expertise is, why I'm reliant on it. That is, is um, if I'm understanding your yes. question, I think that's what you're referencing. Am, am I, have I hit yes. the nail there? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> and I know it's not, so it's not the give with the expectation of receiving, but it is definitely giving to help someone yeah. to yeah share share their value which um it does it makes you feel great when someone comes yes. to you and says hey can you help me with something you you've done this really well and and I'd like to learn from you and yeah that's just it's yeah. delightful of course that's not going to be your only source of acts of kindness i love that it's, it's, it's... yeah i love that that practice as well but it's interesting too it, it's interesting too because if someone's come to me and asked me to do something and they saw it as an act of kindness in asking that of me, but it's really misrepresenting what I do, what I stand for, what I'd be comfortable doing, in some ways you've still performed an act of kindness because you've shown that person, well, what does the world see of you? What do we know of you? What's the stories that we're here you're talking to or not? So have I made some assumptions about you based on what I know of you? And maybe it's giving you a good indication that maybe you need to be telling different stories to the world as to what you stand for and what you do if they've misunderstood, you know, uh, your eminence or your fame agenda. So that, you know, even if we get it wrong, it could still be an act of kindness because you could, in telling them what you understood them to do, or to be, um, that's helping give them insight as to how are they seen. And often we wonder why, you know, you could get frustrated if you're seeing opportunities go to the wrong people and you think, well, why didn't they ask me? What was wrong with me? Well, maybe it's because you're not bringing to um, to the public what it is that you do in a way that's easy for them to navigate, has an impact, makes them feel 
the way you want them to feel towards your expertise. So you can then reconsider, well, how am I building my eminence and presenting it and what are the stories I need to tell as opposed to the stories I might be telling. Uh, and even, you know, where are the acts of kindness that I'm actually um, part of in my day-to-day? Because often that's a indicator that they're probably not um, paying things forward or, um, yeah, giving, yeah, being kind. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So um, where does fear sit in the realm of coaching? (laughs) It might be a really broad (laughs) question. Yeah, no, it comes up a lot. People can be fearful of lots of things for lots of different reasons. And and fear in itself is there's nothing wrong with being fearful of something as long as you manage it appropriately. And so it could be um, just stopping to understand what's causing the fear. So is it, you know, within the environment I'm in, is it something that I can look at to decide if this is the right environment to remain in or otherwise? There's some types of fear you need to assess really quickly, remove yourself from the situation. But sometimes the fear that we're creating is a fear we create ourselves. Mm -hmm. And it could just be the automatic negative thinking towards myself, towards my abilities or lack of ability or my experience or maybe I'm holding a lot of cognitive distortions around what people might think of me and we tend to do that a lot that that automatic negative thinking is that oh people will think I'm not good enough or maybe the imposter syndromes come in and is suggesting to you you'll soon be found out you're in fear of of actually being disclosed so I think through coaching it's it's first coming to terms with um the coachee to understand well when you're speaking that you're fearful, let's un- unpack that. Let's understand what, what is it that's causing the fear and, and what are you feeling and where's it coming from? So it certainly does show up in, in coaching. It is an area where you can spend quite a bit of time working on techniques to try and help people manage the fear. Um, and, and certainly within coaching, I think we also have to be very considerate of, of the, um, the well-being of our clients. So also understanding the boundaries for us as a coach as to at what point do I need to refer my coachee to seek some further medical support? Is this beyond just, um, you know, the everyday anxieties and fears that might arise and are they needing some support to more, towards their mental well-being, which I need to refer them to? And how do I identify where that sits? So for me, I've done some training as a mental health first aider. I think it's really important as a coach that we are informed and we have enough insight to be able to make that distinction to know, okay, this is where my coaching stops and starts, and this is where I need to refer and make sure that they have the the help and support that they need. Do you think that encourages, um, you know, having that knowledge around where this is not within my realm of expertise and I I can't, this is probably not best place to sit with me, um, is when we can learn where we start and, and where we end um, the boundaries that we are more likely to engage in conversations. Cause I know there's a lot of leaders out there who won't have the conversation because they, they're too scared about what it, the conversation will open up and then not knowing what they're going to do with it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it gives you, if you've got the information to understand what are the boundaries of what you'll coach on or not, you'll also be in support of the types of questions you can ask of people to try and help and support them and to also normalize uh, mental wellbeing. 
So I, I very much am in favour of people actually trying to normalise that as much as we would physical wellbeing and letting people know it's okay for us to talk about it. And if they need support or they're receiving support currently while I'm coaching, it'd be helpful for me also to be aware of that. So if they, if they have support um, external to our relationship, it's useful to know that so we can then decide together, well, what do you want to bring into the room for coaching that will keep you safe? And what do you want to leave outside? And coaching can allow for some challenging conversations. Um, we might be challenging people's assumptions. We might be drawing things to their attention in terms of patterns that maybe we're seeing with that reflective frame. And if we are challenging our clients, I want to keep them safe. So I don't want to trigger any anxiety or stress that leads towards their, um, their them being not mentally uh, well. And so by having those conversations with your clients to help them uh, feel comfortable to inform you, you can then help them stay safe. The thing that worries me sometimes is the coaching profession has increased tremendously over the years. And there's a lot of people who brand themselves as coaching without the requisite training. And so there's there's a danger zone of that. So I would just suggest to anyone who is seeking a coach is to explore uh, the background of the coach in terms of what is their professional training um, and make sure that you have a level of comfort too and, and are taking ownership of who am I engaging with to seek as my coach so I can feel that their training um, is keeping me where it needs to. Yeah, it's uh, unregulated and... Um... Yeah. People who don't know much about it won't know that there are places that you can go and look. So, you know, for, for you and I, I assume that your professional certified coach is with the ICF. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so they, I think they're the main kind of coaching um, membership base where they offer certifications. I don't know at other levels whether there's a life, whether there's a lot different different organizations I'm not sure yeah it, it varies I mean there are some other organizations who do offer some accreditations but I think it's up to each individual to make their own inquiries and to understand the basis of the coaching so what what's the um the methodologies that that coach is going to engage whilst they're coaching so I come from a positive psychology background and that's what I would draw on in terms of a theoretical lens it's mm. rich in evidence um, academic rigor around it and that gives me a level of comfort that I'm also bringing not only an experiential feel to coaching but a theoretical lens to it so you could make inquiries to understand the disciplines that the coach is coming from um, what's the methodology they use some coaches will be very much um, in using a model and they won't do anything but adhere to the model and that might be right for you wh where you are and what you need mm. but it might not be and so again exploring with the coach will talk to me about how you coach what what do you use also understanding how you contract with the coach is really important so um, having a coaching agreement in place understanding confidentiality and and necessary disclosures um, understanding the boundaries of coaching um, the frequency, the scheduling, all of these types of logistical things are also just as important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Do you um, recommend that if I'm going to coach myself that I make a commitment or an agreement with myself as well? You know, I would I would hope you've got an internal agreement, but for some people who like to journal, that could be something that they do in their journals to actually disclose to themselves, well, what am I committing to and what's the time frame and what am I, I hoping to do? So it depends. I'm not someone who journals. I, I tend to, my journaling is using my notes section of my phone where I have, you know, 
lots of notes and all sorts of things. It could be thoughts, it could be reminders, it could be lists, to-do lists and to-don't lists, um, it, you know, a whole range of things. That works for me. And I think we have to come back to rather than be prescriptive is just understand what's going to work best for yourself when you're self-coaching to allow you to step forward. Um, mm. If you're using a technique that's been enforced on you and you're not comfortable with it, you're less likely to build that up as a habit unless you understand why you feel uncomfortable with it. And that might be working through what you're coaching on. Uh, you don't always feel um, at ease when you're coaching yourself because you might be dealing with things that require change and change can feel uncomfortable. Yeah, absolutely. I'd, I'd almost be inclined to, in that instance, to definitely have a declaration or commitment that I'm signing off on and keep it on my wall and just right. <laughs> myself. Yeah, great. And with that, you might be putting up some of, um, you know, you might be adding to it as you're building your goals and you might be, um, you know, maybe you're doing some habit stacking and, and also rather tracking and um, and being able to, to tick it off as you've done it each day. So you might think, great, today I, I was able to have a little exercise at the end of the day and it looked at the three things I was doing well and I've done that for the day. So I feel like I've reflected about I'm becoming much more resilient. I'm acknowledging what I'm bringing to my day in support of me and in support of others. And I feel good. Yeah. Tick that off. And, you know, they're different things, different strategies that you can use um, to try and be in support. I love that. And, um, you know, if you're looking for an external coach, um, take the time to find the one that is the right fit for you, because it makes such a difference when you've got that connection yes. and they can offer you um, support with what it is specifically. So, yeah, I, I agree. Definitely take the time for that. So, Karen, thank you so and, much. And recognise too oh, the limits of your Go. I was just going to say recognise too the limits, the limits of your coach because your coach will not always be sitting next to you when you're facing into a challenge. So I'm I'm hopeful that the strategies in my book will support you so you can fill your virtual backpack with self-coaching strategies and put that on each day as you leave the house and feel comforted and in support that you've got the resources to work with for yourself when you face into the challenges. And at times go back and call out your coach and have a more nuanced conversation but know too that you can be in support as you self-coach your way through each day. Yeah, absolutely. And become your own leadership coach. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Fabulous, Karen. It has been such a pleasure to have a chat with you today. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Shelley. I've enjoyed it too. And thank you everyone for listening. I look forward to another Dynamic Leader conversation with you all soon. Thanks again for listening to another episode of The Dynamic Leader. There is no better time than now to work through your leadership and people strategy, to establish what the future might look like for your business and how you might empower your people to help you succeed. It is through building the capability of your people and reducing their dependency on you that will keep you moving forward at pace and will see you remaining relevant in the future. I have worked with over 100 businesses across almost as many industries and seen firsthand the challenges that come with employing, engaging, and managing staff. If you're looking to improve how you lead, why not reach out for a conversation? In the meantime, thanks so much for joining me and stay awesome.